I'm Nancy Showalter, and you're listening to Spirituality for the Politically Incorrect podcast. Welcome, all radical paradigm shifters and creative change makers. You who dare to create a better life and a better world, tap into the power that resides within you and use that power for constructive change. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our episode today. Last week, we talked about the I am race, and we introduced this concept of America having a specific calling. So our question today, as one nation among many nations, does America have a special role that is spiritual in nature? And what is the relationship of that role with the role that each nation has on the planet? There's quite a lot of evidence that this may be true, and it comes from a variety of sources. Not only prophecy, but also the stated beliefs of our nation's founders, from church records, teachings from the Ascended Masters, and modern-day visionaries who still receive messages from the Blessed Mother Mary, who is an acknowledged patroness of the United States and even of all of the Americas. So we have Alberta Fredrickson with us again today. Welcome, Alberta. Great to have you back. Thanks, Nancy. And I'm happy to be back with you again as well. Yes, we had quite a discussion last week, and I think this will be exciting also for our listeners. Alberta, why don't we just start to give just a very brief explanation of the I Am Race to just to bring our listeners into the conversation and they know what we're talking about. Sure. The I Am Race is composed of individuals, people who we refer to as light bearers, and they come from every nation, every race, and every religion. They're not confined to any one race. In fact, that word, America, is composed of the same seven letters that also spell I Am Race. So the I Am Race really refers to the children of Israel, the sons and daughters of God who have appeared again and again throughout the ages. Okay, great. Alberta, last month we celebrated the independence of America on the 4th of July. And this year, there really seems to be a major movement of highlighting everything that's wrong with America and even elements now publicly stating that they're trained Marxists that intend to tear down the system rather than to improve or fix areas that need to be fixed, but radically changing our form of government. So I'd like to begin with the founding of the nation. And in addition to what history tells us and what the Ascended Masters tell us. Well, that's a great starting place. And it really does change everything. I think once you have an understanding of what they were attempting to do, The Declaration of Independence was really our declaration, meaning America's Declaration of Independence from the British Empire. It was, in a manner of speaking, our charter of rights, and yet it was an establishment of the rights of all mankind, not just those colonists in America. And from then to now, we're still striving to maintain that principle and stand for it around the earth. 
our founding fathers and mothers, taking them at their own written word, accepted that these rights were God-given, that there was a certain divine providence presiding over the affairs of men. In fact, that's what many called God. They called it, it or he divine providence. These were essential liberties, liberties that would set the blueprint for a nation where individuals could be free men, independent, self-responsible, and self-accountable. You know, I think that's a really key thing that you're bringing up, Alberta. This is something that is very different from other nations and was, as we said, even last week and this week, it is a grand experiment. And the Ascended Masters were involved in this sponsorship to see if this could work. Right, and the very fact that they would even um, be willing to sponsor a government that would truly be when, one that was recognized by men as God over men, mm -hmm. meaning that we place the divinity, our God, over the management and the governing of our interactions with one another, the interactions of men. So it was a pretty lofty goal and not one that the people of the day could really fulfill in that moment. But it was a laying out of a way of life where we could strive to be accountable enough, accountable enough to forge and become our personal individualized version of a son of God, a daughter of God, a Christ, walking the earth in those days of our earliest beginnings as well as today. And that was patterned after the life of Jesus Christ. And so as we go on, we'll see how that role that we were free enough to choose and did choose to the best of our ability actually became a certain responsibility to be a Christ-like nation as a model to other nations. Right. And you have to wonder, is this why so many people feel that America was founded on Christian principles or even as a Christian nation? Although, you know, the intent was not to have a state religion, of course, that's exactly what they were getting away from. But basically, our founders were Christians, and they did have Christian principles, which are not limited to Christianity by any means. Absolutely right. I mean, those are my thoughts as to why so many do feel that America was founded as a Christian nation. Many of those settlers came to this country to escape religious persecution and to forge um, a new way, maybe a, a way of spiritual liberty where men could choose according to their own conscience. So even though many of the founders supported the concept of Christianity and God's ways for presiding over men and granting them these rights, they also embraced tolerance through having the freedom to choose. Men could choose according to their own conscience, and that meant they could choose not to believe in God or not to participate in religions, Christian or otherwise. But I think there is a connection in that word, government, implying the concept of God over men. Yes, and that's unique also. Right. Well, you know, there was much communication at that early time via letters, because of course they didn't have the internet and other written, work, written works that we fortunately have still with us that reveal what their thinking and intents were. Exactly, you know, those who were leaders in the founding of the United States of America 
were really very prolific in their letter writing to one another and, and then later in published works and in their speaking, even though it is sometimes difficult to imagine how they had time to write so much. I mean, they each still had to earn their livings on their farms or in shops as clergymen. They had to raise families and many of them had to educate those families themselves and still pay attention to this inner drive that they had for freedom, freedom from religious persecution from the former lands in Europe, freedom from an oppressive monarchy, and the freedom of spirit to actually choose how they would govern and be governed. So according to their own written words, their lives were filled with their study and acknowledgement of spiritual matters, and they wove it into their daily lives, both public and private. And they also preserved it in writing for us today. May I share a couple of their stories with you and with your listeners? Sure, go right ahead. Well, one founder and patriot was John Jay. He was president of the Continental Congress during the revolution and was one of the three founding fathers who drafted and signed the peace treaty with Great Britain to establish America as an independent nation. After the U.S. Constitution was written, Jay helped write the Federalist Papers and is considered one of the three men most responsible for the adoption of the Constitution. When George Washington became the first president, Jay served as his Secretary of State and then was appointed as the original Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. So these were the guys who were right there at the very beginning of establishing this model for governance. Chief Justice John Jay believed that Christian principles should be included in civil arenas. So he said and wrote rather forcefully that providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers. And it is the duty, the duty, as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. A very strong statement. Yes, indeed. It is a very strong statement. One that probably wouldn't be too popular today. But, right. it, it, but it does reflect exactly how much divine providence God was within the founding of this nation and in the minds and hearts of the people that founded it. Right. So our first president, George Washington, also encouraged the inclusion of religious principles throughout the public's business. In his famous farewell address, when he announced that he would retire from public office at the end of his second term, he offered some pretty candid advice on what it would take to keep America strong. And of course, we know that some wanted Washington to remain in office and to become king. And he refused all of that in favor of the republic that the founders had struggled to agree upon. So for generations afterwards, Washington's farewell address has been considered so important and its content so profound that it was published as a separate standalone school textbook. Students were taught that this address was the most significant political speech ever delivered to the nation, and they were tested on its content. Regrettably, Washington's farewell address has now largely disappeared from current textbooks, apparently because it has too much religious content for today's trending secular outlooks. Yeah, and that is so unfortunate because, again, we see our history being just sort of wiped away in one hand, wiped away, and another hand, all the negatives being put forth. So 
Alberta, can you give us a summary of what Washington said in his farewell address, just briefly? Well, Washington specifically identified religion and morality as the two most important elements of the American political system. And he even warned that anyone who attempted to separate those two elements from the political system could not be considered an American patriot. Religion and morality. Just think about that today. Yeah, well, those are strong words, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, indeed, if America's system of government was deliberately and intentionally built upon religion and morality by these founders, then it's important to note how successful it has been, even though America is by no means perfect by those standards. The fact is, America is now the world's longest ongoing constitutional republic on the planet, and to exist more than two centuries under the same governing document is an accomplishment unknown among contemporary nations. For example, during the same time that America has had just one government, France has had 15. And in just the 20th century alone, Russia has had four, Afghanistan five, and in Poland, seven. Great facts to know and appreciate, and I know a lot of people do not know those facts. Yeah, well, we must also know and appreciate that the historical founders at that time were all men. So there were many battles and changes yet to be made in our history. The founders did confirm many times that it was God's word that also provided the basis for what are termed inalienable rights, meaning rights bestowed by God upon every individual, regardless of race, gender, or social station. There, and there, now that you mentioned that, I mean, there we can see through our history how we have strived to reach those goals. I mean, these were lofty goals, as you said. Right, and ones that were clearly, apparently not attainable immediately. Right, of course. Yeah, among man's inalienable rights were those listed as life, liberty, property, religious freedom, self-protection, due process, sanctity of the home, as well as others that are listed throughout the Declaration of Independence and our Bill of Rights. Now, this is an interesting thing because the founders did not agree on the issue of slavery. Even then, this definition of inalienable rights. So from the very beginning, they began to compromise. There never would have been a United States of America without a Declaration of Independence. And that declaration would not have been agreed upon unless the Southern representatives had some assurance that slavery would not be prohibited. So the net result is that 100 years later, we had to fight a civil war to decide that issue. Mm, yeah, don't we see that dynamic playing out today in our government? Yes. I mean, one party wants to address the specific need in the country, and the other party has their opposing demands, some of which have no relationship to the issue at hand. But it's their opportunity to get greater parts of their agenda fulfilled, even though it may not be fully in alignment with the Constitution. Right. Yeah. So by needing both parties' agreement when government is divided legislatively, Things get put into law or money's allocated for things that are not in alignment with the founding principles. And considering the issues we're facing today, 
it'd really be wise for all of us to take a closer look at our history and recognize which party was on which side of the issue back then. That's another discussion, of course. Right. But it's always been amazing to me that anyone in a nation being founded on freedom, individual freedom granted by their creator, could justify slavery of other fellow human beings. But understanding some of those dynamics of how our government works, where one side can hold the other side hostage, we can see some of the clear choices we have when we choose our leadership. Right. And our founding documents do directly acknowledge two things. One was that God gave these rights to men and subsequently to women. And number two, that it is the purpose of government to protect these rights. They thought that this was so important to the maintaining of a republic form of government because many of them also believed that to not do so would invite God's anger or his wrath to be upon them. Thomas Jefferson actually wrote, can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are, the, are of the gift of God, that they are not to be violated, but with his wrath? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. So, here we have Jefferson saying that if we violate God's laws, then God can't be on our side in defense of that behavior and that there would be consequences. Today, we would call this our karma. This quote is actually carved inside of the Jefferson Memorial, and there are actually five carved quotes inside that memorial, and four of them speak of God's involvement. I think this is just amazing when people say that, you know, we're supposed to leave God out of our government now, and here are our founding fathers carving into marble monuments these words, and that four of these five quotes speak of God's involvement in the ongoing nature of this nation. Yes, absolutely. And the founding of this republic on these principles, the Ascended Masters at least, have called this a grand experiment in freedom. Because we can see in our country with freedom, you have the freedom to burn the flag. You have the freedom to say whatever negative about the government, about anybody else. You just, you know, can't hurt anyone or threaten. But it's freedom is it's a two-edged sword. It's a two-edged sword because it's relying on the individual to maintain that morality within themselves. And he, Jefferson says, I think it's very interesting that he points out that the United States, the country, will not be protected when we veer too far out of God's laws and violate God's laws. When I was studying a political history course and traced the forms of government in Europe until the founding of the United States, I was really impressed with this fact. I could see from all the monarchies and dictatorships, all the different things that went through the Western civilization, there had never been a government like this before. And it allowed so much freedom for the individual that, as we said, it was uncertain that it could even work. Right. And this grand experiment in freedom was challenged from the moment it was decided. Following that constitutional convention, Benjamin Franklin was asked by a citizen what they had given us. 
And he said, a republic, if you can keep it. So this was a fair warning. They knew what they were doing when they made this a Republican form of government, not a Republican as opposed to the Democratic parties as we think of them today, but a Republic is a much more difficult form of government to maintain than a democracy is because a Republic requires a more educated effort from the voters. Well, and not only that, but the founding fathers really didn't want a pure democracy. They considered that to be almost mob rule, or it could turn into mob rule. And we see evidence of that possibility with what's happening in our cities today. Yes, yes. The Ascended Masters have also taught about this spiritual founding of America, but there are others who seem to confirm what the founders said about this spiritual sponsorship or this responsibility that America carries. Yes, and I love to read the teachings and the sermons of Dr. Peter Marshall, who was an immigrant to America from Scotland in 1927. And he definitely echoes the words of our founders, and he did it right in the midst of our federal seat of government. He only lived to be 46 years old, and yet he preached to the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C., and he actually became the chaplain of the United States Senate. And one of his wartime servants, sermons that was my favorite was titled, Our Covenant Nation. And he delivered this sermon on Armistice Day in 1947. This is part of what he said. A covenant nation is one that recognizes its dependence upon God and its responsibility towards God. This nation, meaning America, was so born God was recognized as the source of human rights. The Declaration of Independence says so. A covenant nation is one which recognizes God and his purposes stand about a nation and the nation's interest, and that the highest role a nation can play is to reflect God's righteousness in a national policy. Ours therefore is a covenant nation, covenanted with God in the beginning. He went on to say, this country was founded in religious faith. It had different expressions to be sure, Quakers, Puritans, Congregationalists, Presbyterians, Anglicans, Methodists and Baptists, Lutherans and Catholics of French, Spanish, and Irish stock. All contributed to the molding of that faith and its free expression in this land where men were at liberty to worship God according to the dictates of their consciences. These all believed in the equality of the individual before God, and that every soul was equally precious in God's sight. It should be noted, too, that in their time, they founded schools throughout the land that were all rooted in religion. Harvard and Yale were founded by Congregationalists. The universities of Columbia and Pennsylvania founded by Episcopalians. Princeton was founded by Presbyterians, Duke and Northwestern by the Methodists, the University of Chicago by Baptists, Fordham and Notre Dame by Roman Catholics. Boy, you wouldn't recognize that today, would you? No, you wouldn't, but you can see that that was how they were founded and how they were intended. Dr. Peter Marshall also quotes President George Washington in his first inaugural address. And this is what George Washington said. And was it not so because in the beginning this nation was established 
for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith under just and equal laws with the right to worship God according to the dictates of conscience in religious liberty, that all should have an equal chance to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, to provide a model for the world and to lead men into a better life. So here is the first president in his first inaugural address declaring America as a model to the world, this grand experiment in freedom. And Washington also said, apart from faith in God, the history of, Mer of America has no meaning. Yes, and that's, that's a very strong statement also. But, but we're, what we're tapping into here is a broader perspective of what this nation is. Not just another nation on the planet trying to do its thing and struggling along, but this is why people want to come to this nation. Everybody's trying to get here because of what these principles are. And it's, it's very obvious and, and that there is this calling that this was founded and the founders actually understood it and they clearly articulated it. And they were willing to lay their lives on the line to make it happen. Exactly. They, they um, you know, Marshall also speaks of this idea that um, the greatest spiritual task confronting us, meaning America, is the need to interpret for our time the meaning of the motto inscribed on each metal coin. On each coin it says, in God we trust. And to apply that interpretation to our national and international policies. So we can see that these really are keys to God government. And Dr. Peter Marshall's son, who was also named Peter Marshall, wrote a book with a co-author, David Manuel, and this book was called The Light and the Glory. And it's all about America's spiritual beginnings and God's plan for America. They actually asked the question, and I'm quoting here, did God have a plan for America? Many have discovered the reality of the living Christ and pursued the belief that God has a plan for each individual's life, a plan that could, with spiritual effort, be discerned and followed. But what if he dealt with whole nations in the same way? And they concluded that the Bible said he did. Now that's their conclusion. And, and the authors go on from there to share some research on Christopher Columbus. They asked the question, what if Columbus's discovery wasn't an accident? Not, an ac not accidental at all. What if it was merely the opening curtain of an extraordinary drama? Haven't the first settlers described themselves as having been called by God to found a new nation based on the centrality of the Christian faith and God's word? Interesting question. Absolutely. Yes. And we know, because we know from the Ascended Masters, their teachings that St. Germain was previously embodied as Christopher Columbus, and that every individual soul's dharma or ultimate mission develops over many embodiments that he or she has lived. It's really interesting to see that even in that lifetime, Columbus felt he had been given his life's mission directly by God, and that he felt 
called to bear the light of Christ, of Jesus Christ, to undiscovered lands in fulfillment of prophetic passages in the Bible, and that he knew he'd been guided by the Holy Spirit the whole way. Right. I think, you know, um, these two researchers, Peter Marshall Jr. and David Manuel, they, they discovered um, the diaries and everything of Christopher Columbus. And so they were able to, to see some of his words. And Columbus himself actually wrote, it was the Lord who put it into my mind. I could feel his hand upon me. The fact that it would be possible to sail from here to the Indies. All who heard of my project rejected it with laughter, ridiculing me. There is no question that the inspiration was from the Holy Spirit because he comforted me with rays of marvelous inspiration from the Holy Scriptures for the execution of the journey to the Indies. I did not make use of intelligence, mathematics, or maps. It is simply the fulfillment of what Isaiah had prophesied. So here he is writing in his diary on this long, long, long adventure that he was with, with his crew and the ships. And even then he was knowing in his own soul and his own being that he was being led. He was being led by spirit to do what he was doing, even though some of the decisions may have looked like mistakes. But then Columbus gave us all some wonderful advice. He said to all of us, and this would be true today for us, no one should fear to undertake any task in the name of, the, of our Savior, if it is just, and if the intention is purely for his holy service. The working out of all things has been assigned to each person by our Lord, but it all happens according to his sovereign will, even though he gives advice. Oh, what a gracious Lord, who desires that people should perform for him those things for which he holds himself responsible. Day and night, moment by moment, everyone should express their most devoted gratitude to him. And so that's what Christopher Columbus wrote in his diaries at that time. Yes, and these are so important things. These are right in his own words. And when people malign his image today and the, the man that he was, they really need to see this side of Christopher Columbus to understand that he was acting in a human world by divine inspiration. And this human world is not, is not perfect. There's no such thing anyway in this dimension as perfect. We have to rise in our consciousness to even begin to reach the perfection that's within us. Well, I think as students of the Ascended Masters, we know now that St. Germain was Christopher Columbus in a previous lifetime and that he is now the prophet for the new age. And now we are the new age discoverers as Columbus was the new world discoverer. So the new world order of the ages that we're engaged in now is really the result of what some have called the revolution of higher consciousness, where a greater percentage of men and women can walk and talk with the angels, with the masters, and with cosmic beings. And it's a part of their daily existence, their daily life, to carry on this holy communion. And that's where we're headed with a golden age. Well, we've covered a lot of material, and we could, of course, go on and on. We will. We'll continue this next week. We know that many of the founding fathers have since made their ascension, 
and our now ascended masters. And this is what I'd like to talk about next week. I want to give a, a much higher, broader perspective so that people understand we are all here evolving on planet Earth, doing the best we can and going forward. Unfortunately, some people today insist on focusing only on the faults of our forefathers for forgetting that, they're, like I said, there's no perfect human being. We all have our faults, weaknesses, prejudices, indoctrinations, etc. We're striving to overcome these things while at the same time doing good things in accordance with divine will. So we have a lot, of, a lot to talk about yet on this subject. So Alberta, thank you again for being with us. It's just been a pleasure and I hope our listeners are as enthralled with this subject as we are. <laughs> Thanks for the invitation. You are welcome. And we'll be back next week. Until then, keep an open mind, a generous heart, and a powerful spirit. Thank you for being with me today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, download, and comment. I'd love to hear from you, and your support is much appreciated. And don't forget, go to nancyshowalter.com to get your free electronic copy of my book, It's Okay to Be Rich, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Increased Wealth and Personal Mastery, endorsed by T. Harv Ecker. And my free mini course, How to Speak Your Success, The Shocking Truth of How Your Words Impact Achieving Your Goals. I'll see you next week.